1: this is wheel bearings i'm dan roth from forbes i'm sam abu samet from guide insights i'm rebecca linn from rebecca drives
2: we're mixing it up on you
0: <laughs> yeah and yay we're all here for the first time in like yay! a month and a half yeah. um so thanks everybody for joining us and rebecca since i think this marks your triumphant return um <laughs> Let's talk about what- Clearly she survived driving. the
1: babysitting episode.
0: That's right, that's right. Uh, I hope you don't mind that we we called you Auntie Rebecca. No, no, that was
1: adorable.
2: No, I, right. so my nephews are the cutest little guys. They're eight and four and they're just delicious. And I actually have my four-year-old nephew on tape. Uh, So my my brother and his girlfriend live in this really cool place. And there was an Audi R8 parked outside. And I heard it when it revved up. And I said to my nephew, let's go look at it. So we looked outside. We could look at the parking lot. And I was like, look, watch it drive away. And he goes that looks like a cheetah so so i have him on so i was like i said come over here zach you have to say that so i put it i taped him saying it and he's just the cutest little thing so no we had we had a very good time and what's and i won't get too off track but what's so interesting to me so my my nephew uh, parker is eight and we have very long discussions about football because we both love football. It's a shame because they're raising him as a Giants fan, which is all sorts of wrong. Um, and, and it's, <laughs> hey, it's it actually worse, right?
0: It could be a Patriots fan. No, no.
2: <laughs> no. Just, just that rivalry. <laughs> There's a lot of people
0: in New England who love the, love the Giants and do not like the Patriots. Anyways, so, sorry. I didn't mean to sidetrack So, you.
2: But what's interesting when I talk to him about football is that he doesn't have this unconscious bias that women shouldn't know about sports. It's really interesting. Like, he just to me. Nice? Like, I, and it's great. And it's just so funny to like. I'm always aware of it because I keep waiting for him to say something like, "Oh, isn't that you know? You're not. You're a girl. You're not supposed to know about sports." But it's it's really it's market like how kids his age just don't have that yeah, I mean, unconscious it's just, bias. Like, it's I mean, really just cool. People.
0: And it's yeah. I that was that was one of the biggest turnoffs was the sports dudes. Um, so good.
2: Good turnouts for you? For
0: me. Yeah. It was the one that he it was a huge turnoff. And then now my my twelve year old loves football. He's playing football and and so um he knows more than I know already. And and so he's he's doing uh the the uh, um touch football league this oh, year. That's and, awesome. and he's learning like everything. He's like, Dad, we're gonna run some patterns. I'm like, I <laughs> You're making it so complicated,
2: Manchester. No, totally like, Auntie Rebecca will come up. <laughs> Yeah. I'll help
0: out. Uh, That's right. <laughs> you guys will you will you, understand each other. You'll be like, Blue, forty two, like, you'll know everything. Like, I awesome. don't know.
2: <laughs> it's just okay, horrible. sorry. I didn't mean to get us okay, off track. Sorry.
0: Got us off track. Um, but you're back and you you have driven the twenty twenty Hyundai Kona E V and the twenty twenty Honda Civic type R. So it's kind of a good dichotomy. Which did you like better?
2: It is. You know, it's it's always hard to say what you like better, right? Because they're so different. I, I mean, they both do things really, really well. So the, so the Hyundai Kona Electric, which is not available in every state. That's the first thing that we should make note of. So this is available in a handful. Um, it's basically California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, Mass., New Jersey, New York, is, Oregon, so of it's, course. It's, it's
1: all the states that follow the California zero right. emission vehicle Right, in it is. So, so but it's like 12, and they're most states.
2: They're primarily on the coasts, mm-hmm. uh, so you don't see them very often. But what's interesting is that they look actually exactly like a Hyundai Kona. So I saw two Hyundai Konas on the road driving home this afternoon, and. The EV looks exactly the same, which I really like. I think I've talked about this before where like, I wish the Audi e-tron was just the Q6 because it just, I don't want it to be weird. I want it to just be an alternative powertrain. Like it's just, it's, you can, you can get a four cylinder, you can get a six cylinder and you can get an EV. Like it should all just kind of be the same. So I love that strategy by Hyundai that it's nothing weird about it. The instant torque is a blast and I have to be really careful because on <laughs> our post road where I've gotten pulled over before, it is very easy to go from zero to 60 in a split second. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've, I've, um, I'm one of the others who has experienced uh, getting pulled over on Boston post road <laughs> at some time uh, in the past. Yes. So,
2: yeah. It's very easy to do that. <laughs> So, and, and ironically, I actually, the last time I had a Honda Civic, it wasn't a Type R, but the last time I got a Honda Civic was the last time I got pulled over on Boston. Oh, that's right. Yes. that's right. Yeah. That's right. I think I remember you telling us <laughs> that yep. so you got pulled over on it. It was mm-hmm. like almost a year ago, I think now. So, so the Hyundai Kona, I, a couple things that I love about it. First of all, it's 258 miles of range which is fantastic. It's actually, I feel like I charged it even a little bit more than that. And, but it's, you know, it's basically a tank full of gas. I mean, you can go all week in it. I, it did, I I only have a trickle charge, which I know somebody legitimately said, you know, you should get a level two charger in your home. And I agree, but what was, so I, I, charged it overnight I, pr- I charged it for about 16 hours i think it was and it actually got almost 90 miles which you know 16 hours seems like a really long time but when you think you know so it's i got home at seven tonight it's 12 hours if you leave at seven in the morning nobody's leaving at seven in the morning to go anyplace anymore you know so even if you leave at nine you're still getting 14 hours of charge so on that 110 you know plugging it right into the wall it's not terrible. And, and, you know, that's a good amount of miles to get on a you know, on a trickle charge like that. So.
0: Yeah. So where you are too, like that could get you into Manhattan and
2: out. No problem. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. And there are some high speed chargers around. I'm, I'm hoping I get a chance tomorrow to, to go and check one out and, and see what it's like to just charge, you know, properly. One thing I wanted to ask, and this is just a general question too, is, whether I can use a Tesla charger?
1: No, Tes- okay. Tesla has their own unique proprietary. They have their own unique connector. one, right?
2: Yeah, that's uh, what I thought. So you, so
1: you can't you can't use a supercharger.
2: Okay, I'm going to go to there's there's a couple of rest stops on 95 that I know have Tesla chargers that were installed a couple of years ago. So I'm going to go and see if they have any other chargers there like uh, electrify america or something there like
0: that there are um there are apps that uh what is it is it charge point yeah they do yeah. And, yeah. And, and
2: yeah and the the kona uh, when you put in if you're going someplace first of all it of course will tell you if you don't have enough range to get there and then oh, and
1: it'll, it'll locate chargers and it'll yeah. locate
2: chargers for most you most EVs awesome. do
1: that now they yeah, within right. the nav system they have <clears throat> charger information embedded in there so you can see you know, uh, you, you can actually have it plot out your route if you need to charge along the way, you know, to put in a detour to a charger um, so you can, you can do that. And the other right. thing you can also do is you can look in Google Maps uh, for charging stations. Yes. If you just do, if you search charging stations near me uh, in Google Maps, it'll show you all that's out there around you, um, yes. which, which, which networks they are. Uh, so if you have, if you happen to have an EV Go account or a ChargePoint or Electrify America, you'll see that. Um, and I think they're also working on um, getting information in there about, you know, whether they're, you know, whether the chargers are actually available if they're occupied. Uh, right, certainly- well,
2: so I did that, I did that about probably two years ago when I had an EV, and <laughs> there is an EV charger secretly placed somewhere in a local shopping center because <laughs> I drove all over and could not find that thing. <laughs> that, that is
1: a problem I've experienced, especially out in California. Um, you there are often, you know, there'll be chargers, you know, at some mall tucked around in behind somewhere, yeah. you know, and you have, I've, I've driven, like I've, when I've been in Petaluma, you know, I've driven yes. around uh, – the first time I went to uh, – there's a uh, a couple of EVgo chargers at the uh, Petaluma Premium Outlet Mall, whatever. I had to drive around like twice before I finally found it.
2: Yes. Well, I finally left because I was like I – and there was a sign with an arrow pointing in a general direction. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I do – yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but that's – so, this is – um the problem with EVs, and I was talking with a friend who just did a trip from, he has a, an ionic, um, and he did the trip from, like, D.C. up to, I want to say, Long Island or, or New Jersey or something. Anyway, you know, he had to charge about five times on and fast chargers for the round trip. And so the cars and the range of the cars isn't the problem. It seems the real issue is the charging infrastructure and it's, avail- it's like it's actual availability and convenience. And then there's some of the nonsense that goes on with the charging fees. So they'll they'll charge you for, like, the hookup or whatever for the, for the electricity. And they'll also charge you for the parking spot. <laughs> so, like, it winds up – it wound up being more expensive than gas. Well, this, this is
1: – yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things there. You know, first of all, DC fast charging is actually expensive to do because of the demand charges the way – commercial customers are charged for electricity and I'm not going to get into all the details, but it's inherently more expensive. The equipment's more expensive and the utilities charge more for the electricity. The other thing is um, in some states there's a bunch of states where um, t- where the state regulations on electric utilities don't allow them to sell don't allow the charging network providers to sell electricity by the kilowatt hour they have to charge by the minute. Don't ask me why. It's just the way it is. Um, Just about two or three weeks ago, Electrify America uh, announced that they got approval from 23 states to switch over. So so one of the things you, you may have noticed if you've ever used DC fast charging up until fairly recently was when you plugged in, you got charged by the minute, regardless of you know, if you were, you know, if you were at 75% charge and you wanted to just top it off before you head out on a trip, uh, you know, when you're, you know, when you're at 75 or 80% charge, it's already ramping down the charge rate so that it, it takes a long time to fill up that last 20%. And you get charged by the minute, even though you're getting electricity very slowly. And that's, that's, a, you know, it can be very expensive. Uh but but that now, happen? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, now um, they have approval in 23 states to just charge directly per kilowatt hour. So just like you buy gas by the gallon, you buy electricity by the kilowatt hour, regardless of how many minutes it takes. Um, and then
0: and you buy beer by the six pack.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, and then you know. Then the other thing that they do, you know, and and they all and Electrify America also dropped the session charge, so the the connection charge. Mm. Um, so now you just hook up. However many kilowatt hours, that's what you pay for. and But the other thing that most of them do is um, once the charging is complete and the battery is full, um, you have typically have about a 10-minute grace period to unplug the car and move it. After that, they do start charging you a parking fee if you leave it sitting there plugged in.
2: Oh, I think well, that's totally fair. Yeah,
0: yeah that's, I, I
1: agree. But not, but not while you're actually charging.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay. So – No, I think I think all those things are true. So it was interesting. I was investigating. I had seen these robotic chargers that like go to the car as opposed to the car going to the charge point.
1: You mean like a mobile charger?
2: Yes. Yeah, like a mobile charger. And they were really really cool but i hadn't seen anything for a while and i had been talking to an executive about them and he actually hadn't heard about them so i was doing some research and i discovered that volkswagen actually is investing in this technology where you you can the the mobile battery goes to your car like it you know through mm-hmm. through an app communicates you know the car it knows the car your car is there it goes to your car Charges it, you know, in fifteen twenty minutes, and then goes back to like a docking station, which is so clever because that addresses so many of the issues that we're talking about in terms of, you know, first of all, it, it could certainly help with things like um, multi dwelling. Yep. You know, housing where, or if you don't have a designated parking space, like imagine a street, you know, if you're street parking, but each street has two or three of these robots, this, they can, you know, like a street sweeper, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They go car to car to car and recharge the vehicle. So yeah, it's
1: basically a big battery on wheels with a. Right. Cord. But it's
2: very, very clever. And I think it really, really could change the, the face of this challenge of how do we get charging stations in to play people that don't have a garage or don't have a place, you know, to put a charger and, and, you know, a 220 volt outlet, all those different barriers to charging. And I just, I think it's, it's really, really cool technology. And I think we'll see it very, very soon.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, we, we actually had a forecast on, you know, in our, at GuideHouse in our most recent EV charging equipment forecast that we published, I think in June, uh, we had a forecast for that. And we actually think the adoption is going to be fairly limited because of the cost. It's going to be mostly limited to places like parking garages. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, you know, so it's probably not going to be the primary method of of charging, but it, it, you know, it, it does, it does, it does have, (laughs) it does have some interesting applications. Um, and, uh, you know the the other thing, you know, the manufacturers are you know are starting to recognize this this problem of, you know, how do you expand the market for EVs beyond people that live in a house with a driveway and a garage where they can plug in, and, you know, we we I think we talked about the announcement earlier in the summer that GM made with EVgo about installing DC fast chargers at um, at places like grocery stores, you know, locations where people go to anyway. On a you know on a fairly regular basis, so you don't have to
2: make a special stop.
1: Yep, yeah, and so you know things like that. I mean, there's going to be a variety of different solutions. There's no silver bullet to this problem, right? Uh, But you know, the I think as as we as they roll out these these solutions, it'll make it easier for more people to own EVs.
2: It will. So while we're on this topic, do we want to go around the garage first and then circle back to? Yeah. The EV, okay, great. So
0: yeah, so overall, yeah, I want to find out. About, I want to, Well, okay. I, we can let's finish up with the Kona EV, but I really want to find out about the Civic Type R too. So
2: yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so overall, I mean, I think that the the Kona Electric, I think it's a great example of of good range, fairly fast charging, uh, very zippy handling. It's been really fun to drive it. Uh, it does. When my niece, uh, who's twelve, when she was in the car with me, she's like. What is that sound? That whirring sound? <laughs> Maybe we all just have really good, weird hearing. But that sound, she's like, the car sounds haunted. <laughs> so she was not okay with the sound that it makes um, at you know, low speed. And it's just and, and she's right. Like it's just sort of this you know, weird noise. And the, the Kona does have a lovely, gentle chime when you are backing up. Uh, which obviously goes off then when you put it in drive. Uh, and the regenerative braking is quite aggressive. but what's weird about it is it doesn't actually let you come to a full stop without putting your foot on the brake. Right. So like a second bef- like it, it's like it lets you do one foot driving and but then right up until the very end all of a sudden it kind of releases. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what it does. And okay. I, I, you know, I think that's a mistake. I think that's, you know, I mean, I think it's, so too, it, you know, I mean, it's Hyundai decided to do it that way. You know, they want you to, they want the drivers to actively put their foot on the brake, uh, you know, as it comes to a stop. And I, I think that's the wrong solution. I think the approach that Nissan and, and Chevrolet take with the leaf and the bolt Right. Uh, when you when you put them in, in high de- high regen mode is a better solution you know where it will actually come to a complete stop.
2: Right. Yes. Because that, and that's what I like, because I was sort of caught off guard. And of course, you know, as we talked about before, these vehicles just get dropped off at our driveway and we kind of have to figure all this stuff out. And hopefully that's not going to be the case for a consumer buying them. But it's it is kind of annoying because. You know, you're sitting in a traffic light, and you've got to have your foot on the brake at all times.
1: And well, I think it does have a brake hold mode, doesn't it? Like, there's a there's a button on the dash where once you once you once you come to a stop and you apply the brake, um, you can if you have that engaged, you can release the brake pedal, and it'll just hold the pressure on the brake. Okay, so you- I'll
2: I'll look tomorrow.
1: Okay, yeah, a lot um, of other see- cars do.
2: Yes, right. Well, that's the thing too is that I think that a lot of cars have it. Uh, automatically set. And so maybe I need to engage it make sure that it's engaged.
1: Yeah. It's usually not turned on by default. You usually have to manually press the button to engage it.
2: But But no, but overall though, I think it's a, it's a fantastic vehicle. So just real quick on the specs. uh, The base is 37,190. That's before the $7,500 federal tax credit. Uh, The one that I tested was 46,430 with including destination. I love the fact that it had heated and cooled seats, because there's definitely times when I didn't have to put the HVAC on. And so I was able to, you know, save that for the battery and, and just use my heated or cooled seats. And that was awesome. Um, I'm averaging about four and a half miles per kilowatt. Um, I have gotten as high as five, and I am not hypermiling at all. I mean, I'm Driving it like I normally do, it was funny. At the first day, I was I was nervous, <laughs> like because I was like, "Wow, 170." It, it was delivered with 170 miles, and I was like, "That's kind of crazy." But then the next by the next day, I was like, "You know what? It's totally normal. I can just charge it at home. It's not a big deal." So, um, I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's really good. The price point is definitely high because you are buying basically. A hot hatch, you know, it's a, it's a, a not a hatch. It's like a crossover, no, a small crossover. Horsepower. I'm sorry.
1: It's 200 horsepower.
2: It is 200 horsepower. Yes. Yeah. It's 201 to be exact. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of fun to drive. There's plenty of, there's, there's plenty of that instant torque, as we said, is, is all sorts of fun. So it's a good little car. I really like it.
0: And um, I love the Kona, no matter what flavor. I just, I
1: love that thing. Right.
2: I love it so too. Friendly. It's just it's so practical, it's practical. But it, I love the style of it.
1: Yeah. the The only issue I have with the Kona is the is the back seat is tight. It's quite tight okay. for adults. That's um, fair. You know. Yeah. But you know the thing is, you know, within the Hyundai Motor Group, you know, if if you need more back seat room, you can buy basically the exact same car from Kia, as the Nero EV. It has oh, nice. the same battery, the same powertrain. It drives pretty much exactly the same, yeah. but it has about three inches of extra wheelbase compared to the Kona and correspondingly three inches more rear legroom.
2: Right. No, that's a great suggestion. I love that. Yeah, yeah so, so all sorts of fun. And Dan, as you said, I've sort of driven the extreme because then I also had the 2020 Honda Civic Type R six-speed manual transmission and, With the giant picnic table wing.
0: Oh my gosh!
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it was really funny. I I had just I picked it up when I got back from the Land Rover Defender event. So the Defender, we drove we drove well over five hundred miles in the course of just a couple of days. It was we had we had two hours of extra driving because of quarantine rules in Vermont that made us go back to New York State for the night, which we had not planned on doing. So I had done a lot of driving. And then I stopped at home because my my sister, I wanted to show my sister and my brother the Defender. And then I, got, I went down to New Jersey. So by that Saturday, I, was, I had been beaten up, I was exhausted. And I realized that I got the Type R. And my first thought was, wow, I am really tired and driving a manual is not my first choice, but I got in, I sat in it and I wasn't even out of the parking lot. And I was like filled with adrenaline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wasn't even out of that JLR parking lot. And I'm like, this is just so fun. The six speed is so smooth. The clutch is so quick, but it's, I, I tend to have a, a fairly low catch rate, if that makes like like I, I catch it very early on and then have a slow release on the clutch. And it just everything about it was so smooth. And initially when I was driving too Uh, the headquarters to pick up pick up the vehicle there was a lot of traffic and i don't know i just i must have made the traffic gods happy because it all went away by the time (laughs) i went to drive back and i cruised over the tappan z bridge which was wide open i mean it was just it was just absolute driving pleasure new
0: tappan z boy that's that's nice you can it that's not it's wider, there's not as many holes in the pavement. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And then you you can you can hit one of the clover leaves at the end. So right, so you go is it over the Tappan Zee? and then you can hook up with the sawmill if you want well, yes, yeah, to go. Well, you to yes, yeah, it's a little wind, bit
2: yeah. yeah, you hook, you hook up with eighty seven, you so you come from from two eighty seven, hooks right. into and then as you cross over the Tappan Zee bridge, uh then you can hook up I, which goes over the Hudson River, for those that are not nearby, um, goes over the Hudson River, and then you can catch uh, the New York Thruway, um, Taconic, all sorts of beautiful upstate. Oh, the Taconic, yeah. Yeah, yeah upstate. The yeah.
0: Through, through those clover
1: leaves, you can, you can practice your trail braking. You know,
2: yeah. Because
1: <laughs> that car is great for trail braking. It's Oh, it's my awesome. gosh.
2: It is. It is. It's absolutely awesome. So – You know, there's just, what I love about it is there's just something so authentic and primal about having a manual transmission. You, you know, unless you're a total idiot, you can't be on your phone. You have to concentrate (laughs) on driving. Like that's just, that's what you're doing is that you are driving that car. And you know, the, the, the downshifting is awesome. It just, I don't know. It's just, it, it made me happy every single time I was in it, every single time. It was just fun. I look in the rearview mirror and that ridiculously huge thin wing situation. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, but you know, the, the wing, that, you know, as ridiculous as that wing is from the outside of the car, from inside it basically disappears.
2: It does. I mean, Be- but because, it's just but you, you know, know, the, know way there. the way it's
1: concord, <laughs> the way it's contoured, yeah. you know, it fall it actually the, sh- the, the the shape of it actually follows the top edge of the, the rear window and the hatch. So, because if you look at it, you'll see it's exactly the same profile as the, yeah, the window. Yeah, it didn't,
2: it didn't intrude in my line of vision that's, at all. That's so typical Honda to make it practical and smart like that. <laughs> but it's just, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so, so this was what, so this is what I wrote in my review, which I have to publish still. And I said, a direct steering and on a responsiveness that imparts happiness often reserved for bacon or a good stout. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or both. <That> or both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the thing that I like about every Civic, but especially the, the Type R, is that it really is one of those trainers. You know, it's like a Miata in that sense too, where mm. it's a car that teaches you all about driving, um, uh, and, you know, feedback and feeling what the machinery is doing and you know, sort of the limits of your, your grip and, um, weight transfer and all of those things without really cranking up the stakes too high. You know, you could learn that kind of stuff in a Mustang or, uh, you know, it's something even more sporty, like a, a Corvette or, um, a 370Z, for example, but those cars are going to get you in trouble Yes. when you explore those, those limits. And so by the by the time you're you're learning sort of what all that stuff feels like you're you're in a situation where you're not going to be able to recover versus you know something like a a, a type r which has high limits don't get me wrong it's, it's it's a good performing car um but it's a it's a little bit more benign you know um gti and, and miata are also sort of the, the same way where you get all that driving enjoyment out of it and you're you're not uh you're not really risking anything to, to actually extract some of that performance. Yeah. So. No,
2: it has this wide, really nice planted feel
1: yeah. to
2: it that it, it, you're right. It, it, it encourages you to kind of push your limits a little bit, but like, I never felt like I was losing it. I never felt like it, And of course, you know, unfortunately I didn't get it on the track, but you know, I, I never felt uncomfortable in it. And you know 306 horsepower it's only a 2.0 liter but four cylinder i uh, and it's just you know you can kind of beat it and it takes it and loves it and it's just yeah i mean that yeah, thing The was, remarkable
1: thing is it does that with front wheel drive for that's front what, wheel drive that's what, right that's what, that's, what, that's what shocked me when i drove it is how you know how good it feels despite being front wheel drive. I mean, the Honda engineers did an amazing job on that front suspension. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, because there's really almost no torque steer at all. In no. The thing. And, you know, it's so well balanced. It's just amazing.
2: It is. It's just so, yeah, it, it's one of those cars that it's just, it's a privilege to have it. I mean, I drove it every single day, I didn't care where I was going. (laughs) I just drove. See,
0: that's one of the good ones. uh...
2: (laughs) Well, it's so funny because I was when I, as I was writing my review, like, so it's not as I said, it's not quite done yet. So I've got a hundred and. Twenty words written, and I wrote that in two seconds. <laughs> like I just. Blah, blah, well, I blah, mean, blah.
0: Your reviews are not exactly War and Peace, you know. Like eighty
1: Trust me, it's a lot harder to write something in two hundred oh, words or less absolutely. than it is to write two thousand words.
2: No, I
0: I love that brevity. Is please continue, but.
2: Uh... But there are some cars, God bless them, that it's like, okay, what am I going to say about this without using the word fine? You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that's all that needs to be said though. Like you know?
2: This was not one of them. No. So yeah. did I give the pricing? So the pricing uh 36,995, I uh, tested 37,950. Uh, and you know, just worth every penny.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's right on top of, that's right on top of a GTI. Yeah. So, and it's just, it's, it's a different flavor. Um, but it's, they're, they're both kind of tasty.
2: Well, what um, was crazy too, and it, it was actually, this reminded me. So I, I had stopped over at a little park to take some pictures and these two older women, clearly, I would say early seventies, and they're kind of walking, they're both walking and they're sort of helping each other. And they come <laughs> over to look at my bright blue crazy hatch <laughs> and they start talking and I said, oh, I said, it's actually a manual. And the woman, and this, you know, 77, she goes, well, I can drive a manual, of course. I'm like, of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> but then we were like opening up the hatch and it's like, look how much room there is in this thing. You put the back seats down and you can swallow anything you buy at Ikea. I mean, that's what's really great about it too, is that it has so many different personalities that, you know, it is, as we've talked about typical Honda, it's very, very practical. And yet, there's so much fun to it as well. But so, yeah, those cute little ladies, they're my heroes. Yeah, they, were, I-
0: they were stumbling home from a pub crawl, <laughs>
2: <laughs> like passing the flask back and forth.
0: I just didn't see it. Oh, they were awesome. <laughs> so, those are my two rigs. Uh, it, it, it's good. Uh well let's stay with the sports cars. Uh Sam you had a 2020 Toyota 86 GT.
1: Yeah I did. Um it's been uh, what probably I guess about four years four or five years since I drove uh, one of these last time and and the last time I drove one it was still called the Scion FRS. Um so this is you know the 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 car. Uh, Rebecca you drove it a few months ago in I the Coney edition. Yes. Um The one I had was just the, the standard GT um, in white, um, which is, you know, an unfortunate color because you know, <laughs> it's kind of dull. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. But the, the car itself is great. You know, it's, it's a hoot to drive. And, the, you know, the GT is the loaded one. It's got uh, the, the wing on the back and the bigger 18-inch wheels, uh, which, you know, I think are, you know, a, a reasonable size. You know, they're not, they're not oversized. Um, Yeah, I think the car's got great proportions. I, you know, I wish that Toyota and Subaru and other manufacturers would forget about trying to put a ridiculous little back seat in there. You know, just (laughs) stop. You know, make it a nice carpeted, you know, uh, you know, package shelf and and leave it at that. You know, but at any rate, um, the you know, it's got a six-speed manual transmission. uh, The Toyota or the the Subaru two-liter boxer with 205 horsepower. Um, it's got, uh, both, uh, direct injection and port injection, um, rear wheel drive as, as, you know, a proper sports car should be, uh, you know, and, you know, I think, I think this car has got great proportions, It's a great looking little car. Um, the, this one had the TRD handling package with Sachs dampers and big bright red Brembo, uh, <laughs> calipers on it. Um. That's, did it have uh, loud,
0: the stupid loud TRD exhaust
1: on it? It did have the TRD exhaust system, oh. which is unfortunate. <laughs> I, w- I would strongly recommend that if, you know, I, I highly recommend the, the 86 and, you know, the the um, the BRZ uh, if you're looking for a reasonably priced uh, sports car um, that that isn't a convertible, unfortunately. But um, definitely, you know, do don't don't get the TRD exhaust. It doesn't add any performance, um, and it's just annoying. This thing was so loud, uh, you know, like just too loud. Um, so I I would definitely go without that. But you know everything else, you know, heated seats, um, you know, and so, you know, my daughter has been considering uh, buying one to replace her twelve-year-old Honda Fit, um, and. You know, if she gets one, she wants to get the GT because that's the only one that has the heated seats. Um, there's the standard uh, audio system in here. It does not. It's not a Toyota tune system. Uh, it's just a very <laughs> basic uh, touch seven-inch touchscreen radio. Four buttons on the side. You know, for power. Um, you know, one to turn off the display, and then just pause up and down, plus and minus for volume control. Very simple to use. Um, you know, actual physical buttons, not not touch sensitive, not <laughs> capacitive, but the screen is capacitive. Uh, it's got support for Android Auto and CarPlay. Um, the gearbox, not quite as slick as the one in the, in the Type R, but still great to drive, um, you know, really nicely balanced. I did find one weird little issue, though, using Android Auto in this thing, which is for some reason, if I went to hit pause on something I was listening to, It would pause momentarily and then immediately resume playing. It would not stay paused, which. It
0: really liked whatever podcast you're listening to. Yeah, or or music
1: or whatever else was playing. I want to know
0: how this ends.
1: Yeah. But aside aside from that, you know, really, I didn't really have any other complaints. You know, the GT has, you know, a little more heavily bolstered uh, seats in it, you know, that are really nicely supportive when you're driving swiftly. Uh, I won't say aggressively, but swiftly. Uh, the you also in the the uh, in the GT um, the the base models have just two analog uh, gauges for a speedometer and tach. Uh, the GT the right gauge um, has a four-inch um, LCD display uh, built into it as well that you can page through and get uh, extra uh, extra information. Um, get your, your trip computer on there. You can get uh, a friction circle. You know that you can look at. There's a lap timer uh, that's built in there. So if you're t- doing a track day, um, you can you can get that in there. So you know it's it's a reasonably practical car. You know between the trunk. You know the trunk is not real deep, but it's it's actually a pretty decent size. Uh, you know you can certainly fit. Uh, you know at least you know five or six bags of groceries in there. Uh, and then, you know, you also have that back seat that you can also store stuff in. So, you know, if you're going on a little road trip, weekend getaway, um, you know, you can throw a couple of duffel bags in the back there too. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a fantastic car. And just this week, um, teasers start showing up for the reveal of the 2022 BRZ, <clears throat> excuse me. And there will be a new 86 coming as well. Um, not sure when Toyota is going to show their version of it, but the, the BRZ should be revealed in full, probably in the not-too-distant future. Hasn't really fundamentally changed, uh, you know, in terms of the overall shape. You know, same, similar kind of profile to it. Uh, we, apparently, we'll have a slightly larger 2.4-liter engine with about, uh, I think, 220, 225 horsepower. Um, People are still gonna complain. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's enough. It's plenty of power.
0: I mean, it's enough now. Look, that that's, that two liter makes a yeah. hundred horsepower per liter. Yeah, that's 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 great. That's a lot of power. I get the torque dip thing. I don't I don't like it either. But just keep your foot in it. I promise it gets yeah. better.
1: Yeah, it's you know <laughs> you, you really I mean, you really don't notice it most of the time.
0: You get used to it. Yeah. it. It is it is kind of annoying, but it's also one of those cars that there's a uh, aftermarket that can help remove some of that with a tune. Mm-hmm. And not that I recommend putting a tune on a car that you're like <laughs> paying a loan on and have a you know.
1: <laughs> but you know, um, I mean, two two hundred horsepower is it's really, plenty. It's plenty for almost. And in everything.
2: that car, like for a that's car that another size, car. Oh. and with a manual yeah. transmission as well. Yeah, I mean, you should
1: be able to. You can have a blast with this car. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, that's that's another one of
0: those cars like the Type R, right? That's it, it's a trainer. Yeah, it's uh, and it's it's really fun to drive. Every time I've gotten one, it's been better than the last time, you know, like they they have continually sort of improved it and tweezed it sometimes in very small ways. But it does make a difference. The last one I was in was nicer than you know the first one i had that i think the first 86 i drove was a cyan frs and that was probably the worst way to experience that car <laughs> um you know the and the last one i drove was was actually pretty nice you know they've they've added some you know some padding and different uh, upholstery to in areas you know so it looks a little more premium feels better to the touch it's comfortable it's easy to see out of i think it looks good it's it's fun to drive so yeah it it's it is one of those you know sort of all arounders that um, it's not quite as well rounded as as you know the Civic with the hatch, but it, it really is. It's a car that you can use as a sports car, or you can commute in it, or you know it, it does have that functional trunk. So I, I really like it. I hope they don't mess it up with the new. new I generation. I don't
1: think they will. I you know I think it's uh, you know I I think it's going to be pretty close to the same thing. So I think I'm also, not you too know- concerned about it
2: for for 30 31,000. I I look at this car and think it's such a great weekend car. I do wish it had a convertible or at least a sunroof, but it's still, you know, our lives have changed so much that so we're spending so much time more at home that this is just the kind of car that I picture throwing a bag in and just going for a drive, right. Just, and just ending up someplace on the weekend just to get out of your house, (laughs) if nothing else. But you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like the anti SUV, you know, it's, it's your little sanctuary that you can go out, go driving in it, just clear your head a little bit and, and just simplify your life a little bit. Again, get away from technology and just go and have a good driving experience and, come back and go back to the slog afterwards. But, you know, for 30 grand, I think it's a lot of the 1100
1: bucks on the the exhaust system. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, the the one I had, you know, the, the GT starts at 30 grand. You can also get the base model starting at like 27 and five, I think. Um, And this particular one came to 34,783 delivered. Um, Okay.
2: So the Hanconi that I had was 30,008 delivered
1: yeah so you probably didn't have the t r d handling package which is twelve hundred seventy bucks um or you know the the exhaust system which is eleven hundred dollars you can you can really skip both of those the the handling package and the uh and the exhaust system it's it's really good even without them but uh you know i yeah i think you know it's it's a great car and you know if you're if you don't need if you know if you're not a convertible person if you're you mm-hmm. know if you're a convertible person obviously you know miata is the answer obviously um but if if you don't care about convertibles, you you'd rather have a hard top. You know, this is an outstanding alternative to a Miata. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. It's got a, a you know, most of the same traits that you find in a Miata. Um, you know, and just a you know a little bit different form factor.
0: For sure. Yeah. I I, I do think um it's it's funny because I'm a person who does not really care about convertibles, but um I would still pick the Miata, <laughs> <laughs> um, because it, it's just it, it's that particular you know feeling and and just li- liveliness and just blend of traits. So uh, it's not that the the, the eighty six is is bad; it's just different. So it's, yeah. I'm I'm glad that we have uh, options, and and uh, both are fun. So <sighs> you, I did not. I so did you not... had
2: a very interesting vehicle.
0: I it was interesting. It was cool. Um, so I had the the transit Transit 150 all wheel drive uh, EcoBoost, and I had the cargo version. So just just two seats. So like you, I had a two seater. Yeah. But,
2: <laughs> um, did you offer candy to children? I did. I did that's, not.
1: That's like uh, several years ago when um when we had my daughter move uh, a previous time. Um, I got a a red Ram ProMaster. Um, From FCA, and it was a cargo version as well. And, you know, I described it in my, I put the headline in my review was something like, you know, driving a, a red Italian two seater. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the ProMaster is built in Italy. That's true. <laughs>
0: It you know the transit is sort of part of this newer crop of vans where it's a, it's actually really good to drive as far as vans go. I you know I have recently spent time in a much older Ford uh, E series like I I'm think sorry E three fifty. I mean it was uh, yeah it was
1: was you know, quaint. The E series hasn't <laughs> yeah. fundamentally changed since about 1975. Yeah
2: so. yeah yeah. So um, tell us about it though. Like what what was it like? Well, the, the so the
0: transit is uh, super well thought out. You know, it's really roomy in terms of cargo. It's got a really nice flat floor, really square cargo area. Which Does it is still have a ridged want. floor? You know, like um, yeah. There's okay. there's like you know there's like the floor has a corrugated pattern, but this right. also had a um, like a, a mat, so it was covered. It wasn't okay. just a bare floor. Um, and it's a little loud without any anything mm. in it. Uh, you know, the last transit i drove as a passenger version that had a little more sound deadening and stuff but uh this is a really you know great box on wheels right. um and it's i was actually surprised how quiet it is on the highway like it's it's still a little boomy because you know it just it resonates a bit over rough pavement is there
2: a partition or anything or is it just open no, all the way
0: wow no it's just open all the way back Fascinating. we could have we could have filled it with balloons or you did know. you feel
2: like you should have like a not for hire sign on the back of it I, sh- I feel like I should have picked up like extra work yeah, <laughs> uh, like,
0: well, yeah. I could make a deal with like the local Amazon driver <laughs>
2: exactly I Could
0: split it uh, how are you so efficient that's ah, my secret <laughs> um, but you know the thing about that that old E-series well, was, you know there's not as much places to put your stuff it's the foot foot boxes are cramped because you get the giant hump for the engine and stuff not as not as much with the transit it's, it's a lot it's wider there's a lot more room for things the seats were actually very comfortable the driving position was decent the visibility is fantastic uh there's there's lots of cup holders and cubbies and you know you get used to the 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 handling characteristics so you can actually it's got a short nose so you can sort of Get out into the intersection before you cut the cut the wheel, or you know maneuvering it becomes easier. And um, new on this one that wasn't on the last uh, transit I drove was the uh, it has drive modes. So I preferred eco uh, um, among all of them. It has drive modes for you know like slippery conditions and and um, just normal, uh, but eco kind of smooths out the responses so you, you're not not getting that that sort of head snap from um, the engine as you take off. And it had the 2.7 liter EcoBoost, which is fantastic. Uh, So, you know, it's a great powertrain. It's a good van. It's, It's still... You know, sometimes we get a little overexcited, us, us car people, and we, we look at these vans and we're like, well, that's neat and kind of weird and different, and I would like to own one of those. You would not want to daily this. Maybe the passenger version you would, but the cargo well, version- Well, like,
1: I mean, if you did something, you know, like did a conversion van-
0: If you did a conversion or made it yeah. a, a camper, like it's a perfect blank slate for a DIY camper, um, That's that's different, you know, but- as it stands without much weight in it and I, this is still it's a 150 but it's still like it's it rides like a work
2: vehicle which it's not bad but it's a truck you know I can promise you that I've never wanted one of these
1: Well I can <laughs> see that oh, I mean if you've ever had to move house you want one of these
2: Yeah no I, but temporarily yes. but I don't like want this in my stable of no options so, Well so my grandfather
0: for years <laughs> Had Volkswagen vans, the old air cooled ones, and then eventually he, he bought himself a brand new van again. Um, and so, there's just you know, there's there's a thread through my my appreciation for vans. Um, and it just, you're such an a, everyman. Sometimes I love it. Yeah, I am. I'm a man of the people, Ron. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and this is just a it's a good substitute for those older funky vans. Um, so is it, it the
2: same? And I should know this. I apologize. Is it about the same size as, in a, like, an Econoline?
0: line? Uh, no, it's, well... It is smaller. It's, it's bigger. No, it's bigger. It's, yeah. bigger. it's bigger.
2: Oh. It's, it's I'm thinking to... of, like, the
0: 15-passenger... So yeah you can get a transit that's that big that's longer it's going to have okay. a higher roof but this was a low roof you know it's the lowest roof and the the shortest one so it's it probably casts about the same shadow as as the E series the Econoline did but um it's a little wider it's boxier and okay. i think it's probably a little
1: taller i How couldn't tell uh like 18
0: 17 what, so what not, which, which not roof terrible. did you have on
1: yours cuz they they the, you have it the in lowest. three roof heights
0: yeah, I had this, the standard roof height, so the low, not the mid or the high, just okay. the low, low roof. Um, the last one I had had the mid roof, and that was, I got on a, I, I got on the sawmill with that, and you're not supposed no. to take high stuff on the sawmill because it, it was it was designed by Robert Moses. Well, I don't actually the sawmill might not have been Moses. Anyway, it was designed to keep those city folk out of the, the the suburbs there, so they put low bridges so buses couldn't go, and. um they haven't been redesigned since the thirties. So you get on there and you realize, um, Hey, that bridge looks like I'm going to scalp the top of this thing. We're going to get off and just take the like surface streets. (laughs) 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 Um, this one would not have that problem. You could take this in, in other places, but you know, the the biggest deal here is it has all wheel drive. Like that's new this year. And I think that was sort of the missing component for the transit was, they were all rear wheel drive, which is fine with, you know, winter tires and stuff. But I, I think that, uh, to make it more all-purpose, um, all-wheel drive is a really killer addition uh, to the van. And It's seamless, and it adds—I think—it adds those driving modes um, and and gives it more more flexibility and, and more capability. Um, and I think if you're running a fleet of these things, it, that's that's a, that's that's sort of a motivation to buy, right? Yeah. Versus um, you know some other vans. The you know the, the ProMasters are decent because they're front-wheel drive. Um, so that has a certain edge, um, at least the smaller ProMasters. I don't know if the big ones are. The big ones
1: are also front wheel drive.
0: Yeah. So you have a traction advantage there. Um, but the, I think you probably lose out in some, some way, uh, versus the transit, maybe in capacity or towing or, or whatever. They're very evenly matched. And I think actually the Promaster is, is even a little roomier. It's just carved out a little more.
1: Yeah. Well, the ProMasters floor, I think is a little bit lower. Than yeah. the transit because front wheel drive you don't have a drive shaft running down the the, right. the to the back so it and can it has a very simple beam bit.
0: axle right the yeah. the, yep. the axle in the Promaster is like just a it's a leaf spring and a a rod <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> There's not much to it Um but no I mean the the transit I love that they sort of took the inspiration or just a, basically the, the exact vans from Europe that are were a little bit more maneuverable and and just differently designed and brought them over here cuz the, the Econoline's you know they were they were good for what they were but that's a that's a truck
1: van you know like yeah well these you know these are unibodies they're they're not body on frame like the old Econolines were yeah which is, and that
0: makes it better
1: it, yeah I think. Make, it make it yeah make you know it's much better packaged, you know, even you know, even though I think the, the floor is a little bit higher in this than the Promaster, it's still way lower than the floor in the Econo lines. So you actually yeah. have a lot more interior volume, even with the same, uh, the, the same uh, footprint. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's easy to get in and out of all of those things that you know matter after you're, you're putting you know miles on
2: both yourself and the van. You know? Well, and there's gonna be more safety features in this thing too. Just even like the backup camera, you know, things yeah. like that that are just gonna make it easier and safer to maneuver around in it.
0: Yeah, it had the you know the, the the it did have the backup camera. The one thing I will say with the cargo version is because you don't have all the windows, it's still it, you got to be kind of careful. It had yeah. big mirrors and the the convex mirror or con con cave- con mirror the uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, you don't want a concave mirror <laughs> yeah no you, uh,
0: yeah um so that uh you could sort of see uh, around pretty well and it also has like you know it's got the like automated parking functions and stuff so there's a lot to it that when you start to dig in ford really wants to own commercial vehicles and they've made all of their their commercial vehicles that you know they're all their fleet stuff is very good and very well thought out and this is this is no different it's it's a very comprehensively uh thoughtfully designed van um i will be pleased to get something a little quieter and a (laughs) little smoother riding but you know if you had to spend every day uh using this it it would be fine and i think it would actually be good with a little bit of weight in it it would smooth out the ride so you know it would it would um it's a it's a just a a good work vehicle. Um yeah. and that throw, throw a the sofa in it. there for,
1: and a couple of things. Yeah, I mean for yeah. for most users, you know, unless you're getting one of these from your local U Haul, you know, and picking it up empty to, to move stuff, most of the commercial users that are gonna use this thing are gonna have stuff in there. You know plumbers yeah. and you know electricians and whoever they're going to have tools and parts and all their you know they're going to have racks in the back you know for everything all their that equipment. rattles you hit
0: one bump and the whole thing is <laughs> yeah
1: but yeah. still you know I mean it, it's going to be a little more buttoned down because you have yeah. all that that weight in the back
0: yeah well and and you know this are they going to take it to an upfitter you yeah. know and and get you know, the, you know probably do both you know take it to the upfitter get the racks and stuff and then um you know use it for years it's just it's an evolution in work vehicles and i'm I'm glad that it's here and that the the fuel economy didn't um didn't disappoint me you know i was i was pleased that it was getting 17 miles to the gallon 17 and a half 18 so those aren't bad uh numbers for for what it was and i didn't do a ton of driving in it and mostly around town so on the highway you could probably get it up above
2: 20. how did you like the ted speed?
0: Ah, oh, seamless. That like that. The powertrain is fantastic. Okay. this this powertrain in everything is just good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um. So yeah. Well, I would. I did not have a sports car. Um, <laughs> it was at least it was
1: you mostly had a rear wheel drive. Dri- or an all wheel drive two seater. That counts. Yeah, all wheel drive two
0: seater. Totally. Yeah, it's a nice, nice shade of silver. Twin
1: turbo V six. I mean. Right. You got all the right check marks on the, on the checklist. got all the list, everything on the checklist.
0: If you're really brave, you can get one of these it's things just sideways. Two,
1: two seats, twin turbo V6, all-wheel drive. It's just like a Nissan GTR. It's right. totally
2: Tinder-worthy. Like yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: you know.
0: And you could bring along a, a, you could park right a GTR there, which, in the back. I'm just saying air mattress. <laughs> all right. We're gonna leave it at that. Uh, let's move on. Please. <laughs> <try>. <laughs> uh, okay, so why don't we circle back? Um, we had talked about EVs, and before we get too cold, like, do we want to talk about Rebecca's thoughts about California going all EV? Because I, you know, I think this is kind of a lot of much ado about. Not a whole lot um, with the, the mandate from Governor Newsom, but, you know, give us give us the outlines and, and we'll we'll fill fill in with our, you know, outrageous opinions.
2: <laughs> well, so so thinking about this, so so for our listeners who may not follow the industry in the weeds like we do, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California, he announced uh, back in, on September 23rd that. As of 2035, the state, California, is banning the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles. So this doesn't mean uh, that you can't buy a used vehicle, because you can. It's just the new ones. And, you know, there was some uproar and this and that. So I decided, as I was thinking about this, uh, because in in my past and hopefully future life, um, I... Really, I'm an analyst when I look at the industry, and that's, that's my forte. And so I was thinking about this and thinking about product planning. Uh, you know, this is only two, two car cycles away, basically. Uh, and so I, I decided to look back a little bit, because as you look back, you learn what could come forward. And so I thought about, you know, 15 years ago in 2005, and I, you know, a couple of high points. This, this is available on my site, Sam.
1: At What's my <laughs> <com>. Thank you. <laughs> and and click, what you want to do is you want to click on the reflections yes. link at the top of the page, and that'll take you to the uh, to the article.
2: To my very first blog post. So basically, 15 years ago, Facebook was just starting out. YouTube was just launching. Nokia was the most popular phone. Internet was only 10 years old. Um, and Lotus uh, was... I had signed a deal with Tesla for these glider things. So my point of kind of going back was to think about how far we've come in 15 years. And I always look at who's in the marketplace also demographically. So baby boomers were the dominant uh, cohort in 2005. They had just turned 60 years old. The youngest one was only 41. So, you know, it was this really dynamic market in terms of technology just starting to, get its wits about it, but the baby boomers were right really in the midst of of market control. So when we look at where we are today, of course, you know, the internet is now access to the internet's a human right. Seventy uh, percent of all adults use Facebook, and YouTube. Even more use YouTube. And the baby uh, boomers are still ruining everything.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> you got me off track. I'm sorry.
2: Carry There's on. There's actually a third <laughs> less gasoline stations than in 2005, which I thought was interesting. That's actually that's good, uh, right? And um, but the thing is that what's so baby boomers are actually 75 now, uh, and this is what kind of freaked me out. In 2035 the millennials who we still think of as living in their parents' basements are, is, are going nonsense, to be the 60 way. they're going Great. they're they're nearing <clears throat> they they're nearing their 60 certainly in their late 50s so i i separated the baby the millennials into three separate groups and i think i've kind of touched on this before but um and basically i look at them and think okay you can't group these people altogether because technology has had such a profound impact on their lives so th- what I call the trophy generation 78 to 88 the online generation 89 to 99 birth year and then generation app which is every kid born in the 2000s and when we think about who's in the marketplace today the you know It's a mixture of people, much more so than it's ever been. And in 15 years, we're really gonna be dominated by trophies, by online generation, and starting to be by generation app. So we have to think about what this looks like in 15 years. And, you know, as we talked about earlier at the beginning of the show, things like charging stations and infrastructure and, you know, how much progress we could potentially make in 15 years, I think this really could become a reality. I think that this is something that has a lot of legs to it. I think that younger people expect vehicles to be energy efficient, to be to be environmentally responsible, to be corporate responsible. So I think that this really has some legs to it, and it's, and it's not quite as outrageous as it seems when we first hear about it. So hopefully that wasn't too much in the weeds. I'm sorry. No, no definitely.
0: I, so I, I, a, come on trophy generation. There's no more generation that has had its ass kissed than the baby boomers. And that's anyway,
2: no, it's the trophy. It's, it's the children of the baby boomers. The of baby boomers. They, they were the helicopter. They were the, they were yeah. the kids that were raised by helicopter parents.
0: That, sure. Um, but I, I think too, like, uh, the demographics aside, I think it's, it's, what do we want to invest in? And so I like the idea that like by 2035, um, they're trying to sort of shape behavior with, you know, with, uh, legislation. And, and that's, it sounds bad when you put it in those terms, but that's been very effective. And I think if we want to divorce our energy systems from the old way, and really latch onto renewables, which have shown over the last I don't know four or five years that uh, you know renewables are cheaper than coal, which was had been the, the cheapest uh, energy source for a very long time. Um, we need to to make sure that that there's reasons to adopt this stuff, and and EVs sort of further di- divorce us from fossil fuels. So I think that's good. We're always going to need cars, um, and it's not like they're going to completely legislate gas cars
1: off the road. It's just the sale of... Of new ones.
2: New ones. Of You'll new ones, still be like able that. to
1: drive your 67 Chevelle. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, it, I, but the caveat that I do say at the end, and I, I wanted to keep this short and I didn't want to get into it, is... The grid, I mean, the electric grid does need to be improved, certainly in states like California. Oh, especially in California. Where, yeah. You know, they have brownouts all the time now. So there is, there. My, my point, the point of the blog was that I do think that from a market standpoint and from a demographic standpoint, that the audience will be there, that people will be willing to look at EVs and in fact may even expect them to yeah. be there but the grid has to be ready for them because i think infrastructure will come along i think the range certainly will come along the barriers won't be market driven they're going to be resource driven they're going to be things like the electric grid yeah Yeah, i I
0: agree with that And, and i think that um i'm sorry sam i didn't mean to interrupt but um if you look at the the sort of biggest barrier and problem other than sort of charging being Difficult, Like it's still a pain to charge the cars like you were talking about earlier. Um, the other issue is those grid operators, the, the, the you know, PG and E, one of those wildfires was sparked by um, uh, a, a wire actually sagging. They have hooks for the, the, um, the, the ground wires. And after a while, the, the hooks wore through and somebody did like a sort of, a study that was like, look at this hook. Okay, look at how long it's been. Look at what they did at some point because they knew that there was a lot of wear on this tower. And, you know, it turns out like the, the sort of hook that held the wire was like 100 years old. Yeah. And so it's just neglect from the infrastructure. It's like you should have replaced that a long time ago, PG&E, and, and you should have known that it was like that. We, you know, like you get paid, you have the the sort of, you are the utility um and and that was irresponsible of you and and uh, we're relying on you to to keep up your part of the bargain you know and it's it's that that sort of uh sort of balance that um we've been sort of told for a long time that consumer behavior is the real solution to climate issues and and um all we have to do is adopt EVs and um you know everybody reduce their consumption but really there's a lot on the industry side that needs to come along that has sort of been swept under the rug. Um, and, and they need to do a better job <laughs> about being resistant to, you know, maintaining their stuff and, and not just vacuuming out, uh, you know, profit, um, you know, it costs costs money to generate all that shareholder value. And eventually, if you don't maintain your stuff, it comes back to bite you. And here we are. So I hope that it actually does drive uh, improvements to the grid because it should.
1: And I I think it will, you know, you know, the utilities increasingly are, you know, they're recognizing, you know, the opportunities that are available with with EV adoption, um, you know, to in order to sell more electricity. You know, they realize that there's a significant business opportunity for them. And so they're, you know, my my employer, Guidehouse, you know, we do, you know, as a as a consulting firm, and this is not something it's not an area I work on. But as as a firm, they do a lot of work with a lot of utilities, especially investor-owned utilities like PG&E and and others, um, and you know so there's there's absolutely a lot of interest in what do they have to do to support the adoption of EVs because they they actually want EVs to be adopted because that's that's a market for the power that they're producing, and you know but they 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 re- they, rec- they they recognize that. They do have to upgrade things in order to enable that. So, you know, part of that is things like you know putting in demand response systems, you know, to be able to manage, you know, you know where the power is going and when, you know, to you know when there's peaks in in demand, you know, to be able to shut off, you know, things like some of the chargers or reduce the power output to some of the chargers, you know, to balance the load. So you don't have you don't run into the brownout problems, um, and they're they're working on that and hopefully you know, well before 2035 they'll have they'll have a lot of those issues sorted out. There's certainly there's enough power generation capacity available to support you know all those EVs, but it's it's getting it from where it's produced to where it's being used in those vehicle batteries that has been the challenge and and uh, that's something that everybody's taking a look at and you know doing you know increasingly looking at things like you know vehicle to grid integration you know this this is something that was talked about you know back 12 13 years ago when we were just starting to get into this new age of evs but and there's been you know various pilot projects but nothing <clears throat> has been really implemented at scale because frankly there haven't been enough um, EVs to to make it worthwhile, and you know ev- you know y- there's actually 3,000 separate utilities across the United States, and they all have different systems. And managing that has been a nightmare. But what's happening now is, especially as commercial fleet operators are looking towards electrification, that is you know potentially a really uh, a good source you know to be able to do vehicle to grid integration where. You know, vehicles that are plugged in can actually be a, a buffer, you know, to when there's peaks on the, the – peak loads on the demands uh, – on the demand side, you know, to be able to draw a little bit of power out of those batteries and balance that out, you know, shave off those peaks. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting work being done there. And, you know, for those fleets, you know, that are operating in a specific area – um, you know I think that's that 's where you 'll start to see some of those sorts of ideas get implemented so I think there 's a lot of a lot of good opportunities for business across the board for, from this stuff
0: there so is- what, what do you think Rebecca do you think that we we are we optimists i mean we are clearly being our, our- men of the people here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think that it's, it's, in, it's first of all, there's also business opportunities because there's a lot of con- a legitimate concern about what do we do with all these batteries but those batteries actually have a second life to them. So I remember years ago now I was at a Chevy Volt event and all of the tents that we were in, and the lighting and everything was actually using old batteries from the Chevy Volt which was really cool. So there's opportunity there to figure out how do we use these batteries again? What's the second life for them? So I think that there's, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Having lived in Saudi Arabia, obviously, I'm very aware of the role of oil, but also the limitations of oil availability. And, you know, I put solar panels on my own house. I've heavily insulated the house so that my energy efficient, energy usage is probably cut by more than half from the time that I bought the house when it really didn't have any proper insulation in it. I have no idea how they lived here without it. But I think that there's measures that everybody can take and should take uh, as, you know, as much as you can afford to Limit your own use and and not waste. I mean, you know, when you think about wind, there's obviously there's challenges with wind because it can be really inconsistent. Um, but I think that we need to explore these resources. I was really disappointed. I remember when in Massachusetts, they were going to put a wind farm off of um, the Cape Cod coast and it didn't get passed because people were like, I don't want a wind turbine thing. And, and, you know, there was,
0: I mean, there was, as usual, there's a lot of corporate chicanery behind that. There
2: was. And, but, you know, I think that there's, we have to look at these things as, as necessities, like cell phone towers, right you know i was on a walk this afternoon with my sister and all of a sudden i looked up and near near where i went to middle school of all places and there's a cell phone tower like right behind the school now and you know but that's why we have cell phone coverage because we need those kinds of things so yeah. i i think that you know there's a responsibility that that we have as uh as citizens of the world to take care of it, to do our part in it. Certainly corporations have a responsibility to use their profits wisely to certainly maintenance. For goodness sake, take care of your stuff. Like it's like a house, right? You run it into the, you can run it into the ground if you don't take proper maintenance and care and maintenance of your house. You know, a house is not, I mean, anyone thinks that they're gonna buy a brand new house and there's not gonna be projects is kidding themselves. Right,
1: <laughs> a, a house is a money pit, no matter if it's new or old. It,
2: it is. Well,
0: I think if you if you do the math too, like it's not. It's a, that's a really great metaphor because a, a house is not really an investment vessel, and that it. Uh, if you if you actually calculate out and adjust the dollars for inflation, you generally only break even, or you know, when you account for you know maintenance, upkeep, and improvements. To a house over the long term, the difference is you sort of you put your put mortgage into it and then when you need a lump sum, you sell the asset and then you get the lump sum. And because of inflation has happened over, you know, the 30 years you've owned the house, you get a pretty decent lump sum. And hopefully at that point, you haven't been stupid and overextended yourself. So it it, like it, it. It can be a container for wealth, but it shouldn't be your only container for wealth. And like when you when you own and run a a, sort of a a utility, it it should be the same thing. Like, yes, there's profit to be had there, but you also have to make sure that you you keep it up.
1: Um,
2: You can't do the profit at the expense of the maintenance. Well, yeah, Yeah, right. Well, if if you 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 want that
1: profit to persist over the long haul. Right. Just like like with the house. Just think about the next quarter.
2: Right. That lump sum, mm. is going to be a lot smaller in your house if you haven't maintained it, uh-huh. you know? Well, and,
0: yeah, unless the market booms artificially and then you can sell any old shithole yeah. for a zillion dollars. <laughs> like.
2: But so I think that, you know, my, the reason I wanted to write the article was because in 15 years, the people that are in the marketplace are very different. And I think that we have a responsibility. Utility companies have a responsibility. States have a responsibility to have the grids ready, to have renewable energy ready. Uh, you know, the industry, we're gonna, you know, we're going to I think continue to build and improve on EVs. I mean that that Hyundai Kona is, is a fantastic example of of taking something that 10 years ago was kind of weird and sort of inadequate like you know the nissan leaf right it was weird different it had eighty seventy-four
1: miles of range. 74
2: mile right to this thing that again looks exactly like any other kona on the road and 260 miles of range that's impressive
0: uh-huh. yeah and, and like honestly that those are jobs those are profits yeah good like stop just doing the same thing over and over again for a hundred years. Like, just look at you could do other stuff and you'll make money. <laughs> for
2: Christ's sake! All right. All right. Um, just for our for our listeners, I have to tell you that Dan's hair was kind of nice and neat at the beginning, and it's now is
1: it fuzzy? it's
2: fuzzy. Oh yeah, look at that! Yeah. As he's running it through, As, yeah. Uh, look, I'm passionate about
0: this. Um, we should all, we should all, uh, you know, cause it doesn't really change our life. Right. We just, you're, you're driving technology. It's energy. If we can make everything electric, it's, it's power agnostic at that point because it's, it's just electricity. So, you know, uh, it, it doesn't mean that we can't have fun in cars if they're
2: electric. It means that like we can breathe. They too. just
1: won't sound no, as good.
2: Yeah. They won't yeah, sound they'll as good. Sound different. That, yeah. But, but nobody loses if the air is cleaner.
1: No. We're, right. we're all better except off, except for those
0: people who profit from pollution <laughs> because they don't want to change what they're doing. Oh, come on,
1: I, and, so, you know. And you know my my two kids are, are both adults now, and you know they they you know they frequently show you know they're they're stressed about the state yeah. of the world. You know they you know they're 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 showing signs of real anxiety. You know because they honestly don't think that we're going to be able to survive as a species for another 20 years because well, you know, they look around, because of what yeah. because of what we have done to this planet so we need yeah. to we need to make changes
0: my kids look around you know they're, my my daughter's 15 and and my son's 12 and they just they look around and I'm like why why would you do things like that like it doesn't make sense to them like why, you know, like you don't shit where you eat like yeah. why, 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 why would you do that? And it's like I, I I don't have a good answer. I agree with you, and it's messed up and and you know, we've been trying to change it for a long time. and but I think that you know. age group also
2: has never felt more empowered to make those changes, good. which is really good. cool. Oh, the kids are going to save us, <laughs> right? No, but I they hope do. So. I, I, I hope mean, so. I think they feel really empowered to make those changes, to make good decisions, to make decisions. They, they feel like they could, you know, whether it's the, the, you know, who they buy from the corporate responsibility, yeah. they have that information at their fingertips and they have the opportunity to execute on those decisions. And yeah, so, that's actually been
0: really rewarding is to teach them that stuff. It's like, you know, it's so funny. Cause like we, we we don't make it a practice don't we don't buy from walmart i don't like the way they treat women i don't like a lot of their corporate practices i don't like the way they beat the hell out of their suppliers every year for a cost reduction like that's completely just nonsense you you can't make something a percentage cheaper every year that's not how it works um but that's what they demand and so it's like well i'm not just not going to give them my business and so i i explain that to the kids and they're like why can't we do this well like i i don't want to spend my money with
2: them. Right. You know, like, um, but I like yeah. that. I mean, that's the thing is that's, that is, you are empowered to do that, to make those yeah. choices. And, you know, I didn't, I mean, thinking, you know, 22, 23 years old, you know, it's 25 years ago, you know, <laughs> okay. um, you know, we didn't feel empowered by that. Right. We didn't, we didn't have that kind of information.
0: Well, we we're, were Gen Xers, right. So we're, we were beaten. Yeah, so,
2: so, but you know, we didn't have that kind of information, and so I think that I, I think that empowering children to be able to execute on those, you know, so that they aren't worried, so they're not concerned, so they feel like they're taking action, they feel like they're making a difference. I think that sort of feeling they have at a much younger age than we did. That's just my impression.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to climb down off my soapbox
1: now, and we can get all on right. to, got, to other topics. All right, we got one one more before we hit some listener mail. All
0: right, um, well, I, I say <laughs> I was looking at my hair. <laughs> <laughs> a, Let me just change windows. So, so, <laughs> so the Nissan Rogue, right? Yeah. Nissan Rogue first drive. That that yep. yeah, yeah, thing is be beautiful. Yeah, it, it, it looks does.
2: Good.
1: It does look really good. I, you know, and especially when you see it in person, you know it's. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice evolution, you know, new new direction to Nissan's design language. You know, it adopts some of what we've seen them do the last year and a half or so on the sedans, on the Maxima, Versa, and, and Sentra. You know, a little more, uh, you know, sharply creased metal. You know, kind of flatter surfaces, almost kind of an origami kind of thing. Um, but uh, you did
0: know. they explain the the design idea behind it at all? Um, we, we had a little presentation yeah. from from Nissan. So that like the idea is when you're someplace and you see it drive by, it's the, the roof line. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it has that sort of coupe suggestion to it that looks sporty. It was an interesting idea. Yeah. And when when you when you have it explained to you and you think about it, like, okay, so the idea is that you're seeing only part of the car and it just sort of has a sporty signature to it, um, even as it's a, a CUV. Um, and, and so the bottom of the body is you know sort of it's not less important but they they really you know they emphasize that,
1: that the swoop of the roof line
0: it was interesting you uh, listened whatever. you listened it, well
1: it, it, yeah I, did. <laughs> I mean it looks good it looks good it does and look you know good. and i like you know again that they're continuing with the the two-tone thing you know with the contrasting roof uh color availability um you know it's still got a little bit of that floating roof thing that nissan's been doing for a few years Where you've got the black bar through the c pillar that kind of separates the roof from the pillar. Um, so it, design wise, great. Uh, you know, it's a it's a really nice update. One of the interesting things that they mentioned about the design, you know, they described the, the grill. You know, for for the last I don't know six, seven, eight years now on Nissan's, who have had this what they call their V-motion grill, that strip of chrome that goes under and up the sides, you know, of the grill, and um, they they wanted to make the grill a little bit more prominent, uh, you know, as has kind of been the trend in recent years, but without making it overwhelming. And, you know, so it's actually not substantially larger than what we see on some other recent Nissans. But um, rather than make the that chrome strip, you know, much wider, you know, to get that, that visual prominence there, what they actually did was they basically kept the the main part of it roughly the same thickness as it was before, but added a second narrow chrome strip parallel to it around the outside of it. So the overall effect is that it's a little more visually out there without being t- kind of, you know, too overwhelming about it. And I-, I think it actually works really well. So I think that was actually one of the the nicest mm. visual touches I think that they did on there.
2: It's almost like a double mat on a frame.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, design, good. Interior, much better than before. You know, big big upgrade on the interior. Um, you know, I got a chance to drive it for a couple hours. One of the first things I noticed, one of my big gripes, as you may recall, uh, on a lot of Nissans, is the really low-quality center touchscreens they use, the, the displays. You know, low contrast. They, they just don't look good. They're not very responsive. They, they got a much... They, They've got a much better display on this one, so it's a it's a much nicer touchscreen, easily visible through polarized sunglasses, which is always a good thing. Um, you know, was fairly resistant to glare, uh, which has been a problem on a lot of the Nissan screens. So um, they definitely addressed that. You know, the powertrain, you know, is not, radically different from before, you know, minor upgrades, but, but good, you know, the NVH is definitely much improved. Mm. The engine's quieter than before. Um, You know, the, the structure is stronger and they did some tweaks in the suspension, uh, you know, to improve isolation. So, you know, there's less road noise. Uh, You know, this I think compares very favorably to a lot of other vehicles in this class uh, you know, so I think it you was know, really nice to drive in. The seats are really comfortable. Uh, you know, everything about it is just, you know, significantly improved from before.
2: It, sounds it like looks the same kind. I of, love it. Um, I love the yeah. exterior of it. I think it looks. I think that front end is really nice.
0: It, it, yeah, they've done a really good job on the last couple of vehicles that they've restyled and redone. You know, it sounds like the same sort of improvement plan uh-huh. that the Versa underwent that really impressed me as well. They, they sort of took the same basic pieces and just restyled them and rethought
1: them into a much more pleasant Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's conceptually not different from what they had before but everything is just executed better and, and more refined and that's a good thing. The problem yeah. is yeah. This, this, this is a segment that is so competitive. I mean this is the biggest one of the biggest segments in the industry now. There's about 4 million compact crossovers sold in the US last year. Wow, uh, you know almost almost a quarter of the market. Wow, um, and that's you know you've got vehicles like the Rav Four and the CRV and the Escape, and there's a new Hyundai Tucson coming, and probably a new Sportage not too far down the road from Kia, and, and um, it's a Jeep. it's a tough and Jeep you know it's a yeah. it's a tough segment, and this is a really really good vehicle. But there, is, there was nothing about it that really set it out from the crowd. You know, it's absolutely 100% competitive in every respect, almost every respect. One, one thing that where I think that they made a mistake, which was not having an electrified powertrain option from the beginning. You know, Toyota last year, almost a quarter of RAV4s that they sold. RAV4 was their best-selling nameplate in North America. They sold over 400,000 RAV4s last year. Hundred thousand of those uh, almost were hybrids, and now they also have a plug-in hybrid. Ford is selling a lot of hybrid Escapes. They've got the plug-in hybrid coming. Um, Honda has got a hybrid CRV. They did acknowledge that yes, they're working on a hybrid for the Rogue, for the new Rogue, but they didn't. They wouldn't say when it's coming. Probably a couple of years away. That's that's really the only really thing. I, the really only real flaw I would find in it. You know, everything else about, it really good. Yeah. everything yeah. else about it is really good. same Everything else about it is excellent, but yeah. it doesn't jump out, you know, it, it doesn't leapfrog anybody, you know. It's it's fully competitive with the RAV and the, the C R V and the escape and and you know, we're we'll see about the, the Tucson, you know, that you know, certainly from a design standpoint that one definitely steps out. Um, but uh, you know, otherwise it's really, really good.
2: So the other thing that I would be concerned about for Nissan in terms of year over year sales comparisons is they were so heavily fleet dependent in the past. You know, I just, I think that, I mean, I think this vehicle looks really nice. I, I definitely feel like it's, it stands out from that standpoint because I do think it's much more expressive from the front end, but from, you know, how, how much of their sales was actually, retail versus say car rental fleets, which are in the toilet now because nobody's traveling. Now, I, don't,
1: I don't know how, you know, how big a percentage of rogue sales were fleet versus, you know, the sedans. I think, I think it was much more of a problem for the sedans for Nissan, for Ma- for Altima. I don't know. I felt like Versa. every time
2: I was picking up a rental car that there okay. was Nissan's there, but that's just like yeah, anecdotally, but something, something you know, I do think it's something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
2: But it's, it's yeah. a really nice looking vehicle for
1: sure. But one, one other thing, you know, and this is, you know, not necessarily to slam Nissan or anything about it, you know, is, you know, the, the pricing, you know, it, it's certainly, again, totally competitive, you know, starts around 26 grand, um, you know, the loaded platinum that I drove, uh, you know, you're up in that $38,000 price range. Um, and wow. you know, just like we've, you know, I think we started the complaints on that with the CX-5, you know, but everybody's in that in that price range at the top of their lineups now. And so, you it's know. This is the heart of the market, though. Yeah, you know, it it's, is. It's, it's, yeah. This, is
0: what, this is the hottest segment. And, uh, you know, you've got choices from mid-20s yeah. to,
2: you know, low-40s.
0: But to, to Sam's
2: point, though, that price point then just invites so much competition.
0: Uh, it's absolutely super competitive. Yeah. And that's where I'm – i am picking up the like almost
1: the the sense that like
0: yeah it's 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 good yeah, everything no, else is good too it's it's, so it's, it's is, excellent is it good enough,
1: but so is everything else that's that's yeah. the thing is yeah. there's nothing really about it that really stands out from a really impressive crowd you yeah, know so it's not it's not a superstar in any way, and <laughs> you know i think it 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 kind of kind of needs you know at least some superstar feature to really set it apart and aside from maybe the design you know nothing everything else about it is just you know as good as but not right if they want to sell
0: a bunch of them nissan financial will make you feel like a superstar (laughs) all right easy terms and (laughs) no down payment (laughs) sell a zillion of them Anyway.
1: Shall we get to uh, listener mail?
0: <laughs> of course we should. Uh, what do we What do we have? What's in the All What's right. in the
1: mailbox? Let's start with uh, Elliot Johnston. <clears throat> Says, uh, All feel, right, Elliot. I feel like your podcast is covering the transition to electrification better than anyone because you always bring the story back to the reality of the customer experience. Well, we, we are it. men of the people, and
0: and we are men and women
2: of the
1: people. <laughs> I'm comfortable with <laughs> just men of the people, it, or, or, or people of the people. People, people of the people. The people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it feels like we're still in the early days of the transition to EVs. We very yeah. much so. I mean, you know, one and a half percent of the market, you know, is electric. Um, how should a buyer think about long-term reliability and resale value for electrified products? For example, the Wrangler holds its very value very well and is reliable for many miles and years. The new four by E hybrid Jeep is exciting from a power and torque perspective, but should buyers worry about how long a hybrid bot in 2020 will either retain value in the face of rapid innovation or retain performance over the long term?
0: Rebecca, you're the analyst. What do you think?
2: Um, Elliot, I think this is a really, really valid question. So it's funny, I was uh, just before I got home this evening, I I had stopped and talked to a couple people with the Hyundai Kona EV, and they were asking me about the vehicle. And I said to them, the only thing I would tell you is that you should absolutely lease any of a hybrid or electric i just think at that at least a plug
1: in hybrid at honest, least right yeah. to
2: lease a plug in or a hybrid or, or uh, yes because i just feel like the technology is changing so fast that it, and we don't really know how that resale value number is going to be you know and i and worked at kelly blue book and that was a discussion that the residual value team often had so i think that it's great to to purchase this, to, you know, to, as we talked about to, you know, if you, to try and get a zero emission vehicle on the road to limit your carbon footprint. Um, but I would encourage people to lease only.
0: So I guess it depends on what you expect out of the car too. Like, cause that's, I think that's sort of the same calculus that you do on a, on a internal combustion car when it comes right down to it, right? You do the, Am I going to get my money out of this? Is it going to hold its value? Or am I just keeping this to extract all the value out of it anyway when it doesn't really matter? Well, the so, value.
2: Sam, from a battery degradation standpoint, is that something that they've addressed, would you say, for the most part?
1: Um, absolutely on hybrids. Hybrids, it's a non-issue. Sure. And, and I think to, to a high, high degree, certainly for plug-in hybrids as well. Um, you know, the performance is... Pretty much not going to degrade over you know, hundred and hundred to hundred and fifty thousand miles. because okay. um, be the fine. Nissan
2: Leaf did have that. The first gen Leaf had the, ba- a lot ba- of those issues. Yeah,
1: battery EVs are a little bit different story, um, especially the Leaf. You know, the Leaf is kind of unique in that it had an air cooled battery as a, as a battery electric vehicle. Most of the other battery EVs out there, like the Bolt and the Teslas, and and most other stuff. Uses a liquid-cooled battery, um, and those tend to hold up better because you, know, you can it's you can do better thermal management with with a with a liquid-cooled battery. Um, so heat and cool, heat, heat, heating, heat, and cooling, heat and extreme cold are the okay. challenges. That's that's what kills a battery.
2: Yeah,
1: um, you know, for hybrids, because of the way the battery is used, it's used differently than it is in a, in a battery EV. Um, they tend to hold up better, even though they are air cooled you know, getting 300,000 miles out of a hybrid battery is not at all uncommon.
2: Yeah. I, I had talked to a guy a number of months ago that had a Prius like that. So Dan, I think I should clarify my initial response. When I'm talking about leasing, I'm talking strictly pure EVs, you know, on a hybrid, okay. I think it's a very even, different even situation. For plug-in
1: hybrids. I would probably tend to agree with you. Um, you know, it depends, you know, I think, to, I think to what some of what you were saying Dan it depends on what your use case is if you're like me and you tend to keep your vehicles for eight ten years or more um, then I think resale value is less of an issue and you know then I wouldn't you know I wouldn't bother leasing in that case you know if but you're somebody I, I, that wants to replace your vehicle every two three years then yeah lease it
0: but I, I do think that with EVs there's um, it's it's such a rapidly evolving side of the market that um leasing also sort of hedges your bets a little bit. Uh so in 5 years the cars are going to look a lot different. And a 5-year lease is long, but in 3 years the options are going to look a lot different for EVs than they do now. So if you've signed on for a, you know, a 5-year or 6-year loan, you're, you're almost like you're stuck with that and then at the end of it you might want to trade it in and get a new one anyway so yeah I, I, I think leasing is also not only just a sort of pure financial side of it but also it's a way for you to to trade into the rapidly evolving technology um, with a fixed cost
1: so and, that's not terrible. And on on the battery EV side and also plug you know both plugins on plug-in vehicles. Um, you know, there are so many new models that are coming out in the next 24, or 36 months that, you know, there's going to be a lot of different options that you might want to take a look at. Um, the other, the other thing, you know, to the, the resale value thing for battery EVs, battery EVs generally do have significantly worse resale value, uh, in, in large part because when they're the ones that have been bought so far, when they were bought new, Um, they had um, federal tax credits on them. So that was, you know, $7,500 off. That gets factored into that resale value because when you buy it used, you don't get that tax credit. And so, you know, if you think of the net price after the tax credit, then the the depreciation is not as bad. It's more comparable to uh, an internal combustion vehicle. But that's if you're point. looking sticker versus resale value, then it looks really bad. So that's something to consider. So right. it, it depends on how, you know, what, what your use case is, how long you, you want to keep it. Um, you know, but right now I, I would say, I agree right now is probably a better time to lease one than to buy one and, and reevaluate, you know, in two, three years, you know, and see what new options there are out there because there are going to be a lot of new options.
2: There are, and one thing I would recommend also is that if you go the leasing route, kind of to Dan's point as well, if you go the leasing route for those two or three years that you lease that, you know, your payment's probably going to be less than if you had bought the car. So stick the the gap, you know the. Stick it in the bank so that if you have a down payment, then if you decide, hey, you know what, leasing wasn't for me, or I feel more comfortable with the technology and I want to now buy a, a vehicle, you know, the difficulty about going from leasing to purchase is you don't really have a down payment. You're not turn, you know, you're not trading in a car. So, you know, prepare for that. Think, okay, I'm going to stick yeah, a little money aside. for it. And- right. Budget for it. And so that yeah. when you go into that dealership, then you can, trans- it makes the transition from leasing to purchase a lot easier.
0: Yeah, I I do think that, you know, from there's those like financial advice folks that hate leasing and they will say it's never a good idea and uh, you don't end up with an asset at the end of it. And it's only a cost because you're essentially
2: renting. But a car is also not an asset. Like it's a, it's an expense.
0: It's it's absolutely an expense. It (laughs) it turns into an asset with very little residual value (laughs) at the end of the, I mean, it's a depreciating asset, right? It's not so... You know, um, when and anybody that tells earning, you a
1: car is going to be an appreciating asset is a liar. No.
0: no, I mean even a even a car that you know something classic that winds up selling for you know a couple hundred thousand dollars. You have you've had to maintain it and keep it up that entire time. Like you don't you're not coming out ahead. But um, and those are few and in, far between. <laughs> when you're you know when you're in your peak earning years, like you're paying for a car pretty much no matter what like um you've got those short periods of time where you you pay off the car and you pay to keep it up um you know a lease typically has maintenance at at least some kind of maintenance included and evs need less maintenance Mm -hmm. so you know balance out your options run the numbers and figure out you know sort of where where you can afford it or you can look at a used ev i think the the reliability question is um not really much of an issue in in uh from what i've seen actually evs have they have fewer parts um they're still pretty sophisticated but uh there's not as much to go wrong there and uh i don't i i mean there's one ev brand that i would avoid <laughs> but other than that i think that the manufacturers that are building uh evs and that are going to come to the market with evs uh in in the next couple of years are going to have good stuff that you can you can trust at least as much as their uh, their gas
1: cars. All right. Next up, Paul W. Uh, Paul, thank you for uh, watching me on the Tech Guy. Uh, says I'm looking to purchase a pickup truck. Never had one. What are your thoughts on the Ram 1500 with the Hemi? Um, does not like e-torque engine. Do the auto on/off switch that makes the vehicle turn off at stoplights. Um, I, like, I, live, I live in city suburbs and will use it as a daily driver. currently have a 2012 Jag XJ with a V8. Uh, I want to keep a naturally aspirated engine with power and refuse to pay $100,000 for a new car. Even the Mercedes S-Class has this buy turbo crap. Ah. Uh, well, you know, I, I like turbos. I'm, I, I'm, I have no problem with turbos. I,
0: anyway. I, I like the linear response of, an, of a naturally aspirated yeah, engine, I understand. True.
1: Um, although, you know, the, that 2886 is slightly nonlinear, and it's naturally aspirated. So yeah, no, well, no guarantee I mean, that you're going to get linear response. Anyway. Right. Uh, predictable. Predictable. He, he sent along a summary of what he's looking looking at. You know, it's uh, a, a Ram 1500 uh, Hemi uh, Longhorn. Uh, net price on the, the one he configured uh, was $57,700. Um, which, you know, is not not an unusual price to pay for a new truck these days. Um, So before I hand it off to YouTube to comment, I just want to say, you know, eTorque is not like the other, um, you know, auto stop-start systems that are out there. And I don't know, if Paul, if you've actually test-driven the eTorque, but, you know, this is a 48-volt mild hybrid system which, you know, will actually keep the engine off significantly longer, like minutes at a time when you're stopped. Um, and typically, you know, when you restart, uh, it doesn't restart the engine as soon as you release the brake pedal. It actually starts rolling um, on electricity. You know, the, the, the starter generator actually starts things going. And then at a two or three miles an hour is where it actually restarts the engine most of the time. It feels better. It's, yeah, it's actually really seamless most of the time. You will, aside from anything you might hear, you generally will not feel it stopping and starting. Um, it's, it's really, really seamless most of the time. So I would definitely consider, you know, if, if you haven't test driven one, if you test drove it and didn't still didn't like it, fine, go for it. But if you haven't actually taken one for a drive, I would seriously consider taking one for for a test drive and and make sure that you don't like it because especially you know since you say that you live in the city and suburbs and we use it as a daily driver that means you're going to be doing a lot of stop and go and that mild hybrid system will make a significant benefit in fuel economy with that thing i mean you we're talking like 10 to 15 percent better fuel economy uh which you know on a truck you know at you know 18 17 18 miles per gallon versus 20 21 miles per gallon you're going to notice that over time um you may not care and that's fine uh but you know just just something to consider you guys
2: yeah so paul thank you for the email through um rebecca drives my website (laughs) and
1: uh i love that site
2: again uh, com. yes oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked the Ram 1500 when I had it um, back at Christmas time, my brother Larry actually spent a lot of time driving it which was very kind of FCA to let him do that and he loved it, it You know, the, it had the V8 engine, it had that e-torque system in it and it was quite seamless, I am very conscious of that of the transparency or lack thereof when it comes to uh, stop start, but this was really, really good. I do think, you know, driving around town—it's a big vehicle. I mean, he says that he has a Jag XJ. This is not that. <laughs> so,
1: it is, totally, know, but a not Jag
2: that. XJ is not a small
1: car either. But you know, right. this but is I, this is on I mean, a completely other level, though.
2: It is. It is. It's a completely different driving experience. But I think that you know, overall, the the Ram fifteen hundred. You know, driving it around the suburbs where I live, it was a big truck, but it wasn't. It wasn't ridiculous. Uh, You know, I felt like I could could park it in places, and it's. It's certainly fun to be up that high, Uh, and and you know, we've often talked about the interior job that they did on it. So I think it's definitely worth a test drive. It's definitely worth spending some time on, and and Sam, I agree with you. I would go in with an open mind and test drive the e-torque. If you don't like it, say that's totally fine, but just go in with an open mind. I think they've they've done a really good job on that.
0: I I like the Ram 1500. The last one I had was um very expensive. It was like $70,000. Oh, yeah. Um and it had the V8 with the e-torque and you know it does okay. Um I I'm not sure I'd want a daily in a Sort of normal suburban, urban kind of mix, uh, but that that's neither here nor there. That's just my, my preference. It has its charms. It's big, it's comfortable. It's, it's you know relatively quiet. Has a lot of features. Um, I I understand what he's saying about the the etorque and and how even as smooth as it can be, um, it's it's not necessarily pleasant uh, if you if you don't like it you don't like it and it takes some getting used to. I remember the first few cars I had with the the stop start I would shut it off. Now I just I'm just like whatever, I don't care. So you get used to it, but it's still something that's that's there. Um the I think the difference is like for 57 grand you are you going to use the truck as a truck? Cuz if you are, I think you might consider going up to an HD just because it's a truck,
2: <laughs> you know? They're... Well, Yeah. I think I'd be curious and Paul, please send us a note about this, how he's going to use the truck. What, yeah. what is his motivation? Cause I totally agree with you, Dan. I think that, that I look at other people that use, you know, in pickup trucks. And I think I can't really say that I would enjoy driving it every day as a daily driver in the suburbs. So yeah. 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 I think I, I'm, it's I'm not going
0: gonna... to, I'm not gonna criticize for, for wanting a truck and, and use like look of course it, not. It's it's fine. That's not what I'm I'm trying to, to get at. Um if you if you want the truck and and you know, you never fill the bed, that's fine. That's your it's your it's your your uh choice. Um so that doesn't really bother me. It's just um I think if you're gonna use not it.
1: Notwithstanding all the stuff we talked about in the previous segment.
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. All the environmental. But I do uh, I think, mean, you know, I love, you know, the the Toyota Tacoma has been around forever, you know, that as a daily driver that down, you know, downsizing one down to midsize. So,
0: yeah. See, but that's I don't know. I would I would go with a Ram before any midsize truck or, or I would I would go with a 1500 of any truck. But I'm thinking just as a daily midsize.
2: driver that combination. you know, it, again, it depends. We don't.
1: Yeah. We, it depends on what you want to use it for. We need yeah. more information. Um, but
0: (laughs) you know, I, I also find that, uh, if you wanted, uh, a pickup like this and you didn't want an auto stop start or e-torque or whatever, there's, there's other choices. I think you can probably get an F-150 with the Coyote there. I think there's one XLT. Yeah.
1: You can, Um, you can get, you can get the F-150 with, with the five liter um, okay. and of course you can also get the, uh, the Silverado and Sierra with a 5.3 or a six liter V eight.
0: Right. And so one of the favorite trucks I had, I had like truck months here <laughs> uh, over the summer. And my, one of my favorites was the, um, the Silverado trail boss mm. and that had the 5.3. And so the trail boss is a little, it's you know got knobbier tires and, and stuff, but it, just the Silverado with the 5.3, uh, it's it's quieter than either the Ram or the Ford. It's as light on its feet as the the aluminum Ford because it, it's actually about as light. It's actually I think lighter than the F one fifty, and it's just like that is a a quiet, smooth, uh, good powertrain. Um, it, it probably does have stop start,
1: but you it can does have stop, it. It does have stop yeah. start, as does the Ford.
0: And I I got it up. I think all the trucks have stop start. You're gonna have to just See, like get the used only to one.
1: The only one with a V8 that doesn't is the non-e-torque HEMI. Oh, okay. So there you go. The standard version of the HEMI does not have stop-start, which I confirmed with FCA earlier today.
0: I mean, you know, like, honestly, the e-torque, it's not that much of a performance boost um, because that's not really what it's for in that sense. It's like an occasional sort of, you know, hole filler where there's gaps in the the performance of the powertrain it sort of fills in that hole but the 48 volt for hybrid yeah it it helps out in in some spots but it's not like uh not like the way hybrids have gone where they really they they increase performance significantly um but you know I I've really liked the the GM trucks um so if you can if, if you're a loyal ram guy i get it but if you can hold your nose and go over to the chevy store <laughs> um you know and i i managed to eke out like a 21 something miles per gallon maybe even more out of the uh out of the trail boss g- driven gently on the it highway Must have been
1: very gently cuz yeah. i think i think i only got about 15 when i had a trail oh. boss a couple of years ago yeah
0: i mean it it gets it gets down there in the in the city but it also has the um this one had the 5.3 and it has the dynamic skip fire and all that, which is, again, seamless with the 10 speed like that. That's just a that's a stellar powertrain. And it's, you know, efficient in its own way compared to the e-torque. So uh, give those a try. I think we just sort of did a really roundabout answer <laughs> to an alternative.
1: All right. Next up, uh, Bob Kay uh, asked, uh, said recently we were talking about Volvo um, talking about the XC90 that had both a supercharger and a turbocharger. Can you explain what they are? I will do that really quickly. Um, a tur- both of them are designed to pump more air into the engine because the way you make power is by t- taking air and fuel and burning it. The more air and fuel you can combust in the engine, the more power you'll get. So a supercharger is a mechanical uh, compressor. So it's p- driven by a belt off the engine and pumps, you know, as the engine revs up, it turns the compressor faster, pumps more air in, makes more power. Um, It's very good for responsiveness, um, but as the engine gets at higher speeds, it's not so great for efficiency, and so it's typically, typically has a clutch to disengage it as you get to higher RPMs. Um, It also makes more noise. Turbocharger, Makes
0: good noise, good noise Yes Uh, Turbocharger
1: um, Same idea, pump more air in But uh, rather than having A mechanical connection to the engine To drive the compressor uh, There is a turbine that sits In the exhaust flow, the exhaust gas flow As the as as the Engine revs up As you step on the gas pedal You get more exhaust flow, it spins up that turbine Which in turn spins up the compressor Which pumps more air in Um, it's more, more efficient, quieter than a supercharger. Um, but in fact, the original name of turbochargers was turbo supercharger. So technically they are both superchargers at any rate. Um, the, uh, the challenge with turbos is you can have turbo lag, especially if you have a larger turbo. Uh, but, uh, and so, you know, there's a a delay between when you step on the accelerator and when you actually get that power. Um, What Volvo has done and what some other manufacturers have done in the past with using both a turbocharger and a supercharger is they use the turbocharger at lower RPMs to give you that instant responsiveness. And then you can use a larger turbocharger that's going to maybe have a little bit of delay to to fill it in at the top end of the RPM band. So you get supercharger – and then that feeds into the turbocharger, and so you get more power overall, and more seamless, uh, or tries to be more seamless. It's never entirely seamless, but it's pretty close. Um, so that's that's what the two are. Why why they're different? Uh, some engines use just turbochar Most engines just use turbochargers. Typically, a smaller turbo that um, is has more responsiveness, or they may use two turbos that are smaller. That but. but combined have as much capacity as one larger turbo but they're more responsive so that's that's the quick and dirty we can talk about that in more detail sometime if you want i got absolutely roasted back years ago uh when i wrote
0: a description um of how a turbo works for for autoblog i said as the the exhaust gas uh cools and decompresses um, which is what drives the turbine. And I, what I really meant was the pressure drop is what drives the turbine um, because it, it expands as it uh, both cools, which is is uh, you know not normal. It, it, things typically expand when they they get heated but because it's it's, um, Coming from uh, out of from un, from under pressure to from high pressure to low pressure, it's expanding because of the pressure drop, and that's what's actually sort of driving the turbine. Man, people did not get it, <laughs> 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 and they they were they they were brutal. <laughs> You're
2: still not over like, it, are you?
0: <laughs> I, I was just like I tried to put it in your terms, folks. I tried to make it, you know.
1: It's actually more the kinetic energy that's driving the turbine. The pressure comes as an effect of going through the turbine. And, oh really? Yeah, because you're actually trans—you're converting that thermal energy and the exhaust gas and the and the kinetic energy, um, uh, into mechanical energy to drive the turbine. So, at- and the nature of a turbine is it does expand and it cools, but it's actually the kinetic energy that's driving it. But
0: Yeah. So. Uh, it's, all, it's all conservation of energy. Yeah. <laughs> it made, made sense in my head. And I, you know, when it came out my fingers, it also made sense. And then, then I
1: all read right. the comments. Ne- next one is uh, for Rebecca Moore. I uh, said, uh, this is from Sean. He had the podcast on when you talked about Subaru in eyesight intruding into your uh, visual periphery. Um, of course, during that discussion, my eye caught the extended black box behind the mirror on my rental. It was a Mitsubishi Outlander. Uh, I thought it was good engineering uh, to side everything to the far side so the, driver, uh, the mirror, so the mirror uh, hid most of the box from the driver. I was shocked, it was shocking how many Mitsubishi Eclipse and Outlanders the Nashville Avis had, which begs another question. As the car yeah, market disappears in favor of SUVs, when do rental fleets shift? SUVs are still considered more premium. So let's address the, the eyesight question first. Uh, Yeah,
2: I think, so as I had mentioned, it was just kind of a momentary uh, distraction until I figured out what it was that um, when I was driving the Subaru uh, Crosstrek, the new one, the 2021, in the rear view mirror on either side of the rear view mirror are small casements that hold the, um, what are the things, the sensors, the cameras uh, for Subaru's EyeSight system. And it, it was just a very, it, it was one of those like, you know, when you, something catches your eye, and then once you know what it is, it goes away. You you don't pay attention to it anymore. So that's what he's, that's what Sean is referring to. Kind of like the to. notch on my phone. Kind of like the what?
1: The notch on oh, my phone the screen. Notch.
0: So some phones that screen just a little notch. Okay. That's a annoying.
2: Noise. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> uh, but, and then as for, the avis question i think this is a really interesting question because I, first of all it's, i'm not surprised that mitsubishi eclipse and outlanders are at the avis counter as we talked about with um gosh i'm getting really tired i'm nissan. so sorry. i'm so sorry thank you as we were, as we were talking about with nissan I, you know almost every company almost every not all of them but a number of companies will sell very heavily into fleet rental sales. And so this is a, a tactic in order to really, frankly, to use capacity in a plan and to sell more cars move the and metal. they sell them. I'm sorry. Move the metal. To move the metal. Exactly. So, you know, Mitsubishi has been struggling in the States uh, for brand recognition, for product, for dealer experience. And this is a way to Get their vehicles on the road. It it has happened before when somebody thinks you know they they rent something and they're like, wow, I've never been in this car before. I've never been in this brand. I really like it. And maybe it you know would lead to a sale. But that's why you're going to see quite a few Mitsubishi's because the brand itself is just is has been struggling for uh, to find its footing in the states for a while.
0: Well, and. Mitsubishi is still willing to do it. Well, other brands yes.
2: have been less willing to do it. Even yeah, like, Honda like will absolutely not do right. fleet sales. They yeah, feel like it, it devalues the brand. Yep,
1: and and traditionally it it does because you know the rental companies once they sell off their used rental cars, they sell them at a at a fairly significant discount, and because they also buy them from the manufacturers at a discount, so they sell right. them off at a discount, and that tends to depress the residual values for the retail models as well. Um, I, I just want to add one more thing about eyesight versus what you saw, what Sean saw in the Mitsubishi. Um, I The eyesight system is unique in that it's a stereo camera system. There's actually the, the module that holds the cameras is quite a bit larger than what you find in most cars because it re- actually relies on two cameras, and the parallax difference between those cameras, kind of like our, our eyes, our two eyes, the distance between the eyes is what gives us our depth perception. They're doing the same thing uh, because they're using it for adaptive cruise control. Um, and they're using that to calculate the distance to the car in front of you um, rather than using a radar sensor. And the Mitsubishi, like most cars, has a monovision system. There's only one camera. So the module can actually be much smaller and it actually fits typically behind the mirror. So you, you, you are hiding most of it. That's why you didn't see that same very large system that was in, that's in the Subarus um, because they only have a single camera, a Latin like Subaru. All right. All right. One last question. This one from Chad Reckling. It came uh, to, uh, to Rebecca <clears throat> and uh, Chad is with the state of Iowa department of human services. Um, Rebecca, I was listening to your podcast recently when you were talking about the Land Rover Defender experience. I think I would love that drive as well. You mentioned a history of the Defender that Land Rover gave you as a book. Do you know if that's something the common person can obtain or buy, or is that for the lucky pe- press people who <laughs> only to have? Uh, I would be interested to see what it's all about. Thanks for your response, and I love listening to the show with you on it. We all well, do. Well, thank
2: you. Thanks, Chad. And you know what? I promise you, I will look into this. I did a quick perusal because this um, actually came in just before we started recording. Um, I didn't find it in my usual sources, but I think I, I'm i going to ask a couple of people for you. So hopefully I'll have an answer in the next few days.
0: I think they do at least have... Um some sort of trial courses at the dealerships where you can, you can take them and try them
2: out. No, he's looking for the book itself. Yeah. Oh oh. yeah. The driving experience. So the Land Rover driving experience is actually available to the general public. You don't have to have a Land Rover. There's three. Yeah. There's three in the U S so, so Chad, if you ever want to do this, uh, there's one out in California, there's one in South Carolina. Is that where it was? Uh, And then there's one up in Vermont. Um, But the, the arguably the closest one to you would probably be either the Carolinas um, or treat yourself and go to California. Um, but <laughs> it's actually open to the public. You can—I don't know how much it costs, uh, but uh, but it is something that anybody can do, and they have vehicles there that you can use as well. So I think it's a really cool experience. I definitely want to do it uh, with some family members. We were talking about it, but I will look into the book for you, Chad. I promise.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah i the, got confused
0: there clearly I, yeah the, I missed the, that the whole california
1: place. one's okay. in carmel and uh, it's beautiful out there so you know, yeah that's right yeah it's amazing Lot, you know great place to go you know take a vacation there once they get the fires out i don't think it's burning in carmel right now so <laughs> you can probably go there um but uh oh. def- definitely a beautiful area there at the quail lodge and um one you know one thing you might want to do sean is uh take a look on this uh, is eBay. chad uh, Chad, sorry it's okay show once before yeah i did the uh, same thing yes anyway <laughs> what you might want to do late. is is take a look at ebay um yes. because even if it is a you know something that was produced specifically for media there are some um, less ethical members of the media yeah. that uh, you know will take items like that and post them on ebay you know press kits and others st- other swag full of thumb drives yeah yeah and you know, po- post those on eBay uh, so you might want to take a look there uh, although I would discourage you from actually buying from one of those people because you know we don't want to encourage that sort of behavior um, you know we'll, Rebecca will see if you know see if, if, if it's available it it maybe it's it's probably something that they might sell you know, through the experience centers um, yeah you know, it's, it's true it, it might be part of the package at the experience center
2: yeah I'll definitely check it out for him though
1: Alright.
2: promise alright well that
0: is the show because it's <laughs> uh, two hours roughly um, and so thanks all for hanging in and um, thanks for listening you know where to find us feedback at wheelbearings.media uh, and in the meantime uh, enjoy thank you See so ya. much everyone